Get up. Welcome, folks. Y'all come on in and make yourself at home. This here, well, this is the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Your home for all things Rolling Thunder. This episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast is presented by Mossy Oak Camouflage because everything is better in Bottomland. And Lucky Duck Premium Decoys, Masters of Deception. Welcome to another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. What's up, buddy? Man, we got a good one today. Yeah, yeah, complete with technology and four-way phone calls and Bluetooth I'll and Wi-Fi and... We're going places here in Somerville, Tennessee. <laughs> I just hope I get to go home and eat dinner every day. So we have Josh Grossenbacher, which, by the way, is a side note of introduction. It's so much fun to answer the telephone when it's a store calling to order some calls or something like that. And they, they're always like, I need uh, Josh I don't know that the, the Josh guy that I need some of his and then I need some of the Hunter Wallace's and <laughs> nobody <laughs> wants to say it's like not even that hard to say it's not but so no, got, not. fresh out of y'all got snow up there Josh no but we got a thunderstorm rolling through right now okay good well spring's coming I'm then. The, yeah good so we got Josh Grossenbacher on the line and then we've also got the backwards hat phenom himself hunter wallace on the line with us how are That's you hunter? Me. i'm good how are you guys good good um i never thought that i would be on a four-way phone call with rob kenny josh grossenbacher hunter wallace and myself and rob be the only one of the four of us that has killed a turkey in this calendar year um <laughs> yeah, but here we are <laughs> I got to enjoy it for a second, but y'all are going to dump truck me in the end. So. Yeah, that ain't no joke. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, so, man. on today's Yeah, ep- congrats, Rob. Proud of you, buddy. Man I, I, man, I appreciate it. It was a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, I've congrats, heard, man. That's awesome. I've heard the story four times, and uh, so if y'all want to know about it later, I'll tell you about it, but not right now on the podcast. <laughs> Uh, so on today's episode, what we're going to do is we've had a bunch of um, friends and you know fans on Instagram have sent us messages for you guys, some directed directly toward Hunter and some oriented directly to you, Josh, and then some that were just kind of general questions. And so we're going to just you know take a little while here and run through some questions and just you know they're not in any particular order, but um, I think it'll be fun to kind of get in y'all's brain as far as how you call, how you hunt, how you build calls, and, um, you know, just generally speaking, how you think about turkey hunting. So, um, Rob, you got the list up in front of you? Yeah, yeah, I do. Cool. All right, I'll dive in then. Um, Hunter, when you practice, is there a particular call or a particular tone that you are trying to master, or do you just blow through a whole sequence at a time? Well, I mean, it all depends. If you ask Josh, my dad, I surely don't practice anywhere close to enough. But <laughs> when I am practicing, the few times that I am, it depends on what I'm looking for, man. You know, just practicing in the spring, I'd say 
you're better off just kind of throwing a hodgepodge of everything in there and, you know, kind of figuring it out as you go. If you're practicing for a contest, you kind of got to nitpick a little bit more. Mm. But, you know, when you're just hunting, you know, you can just practice hunting. Just listen to turkeys and stuff. You go on YouTube and type in some, you know, some different hen turkey sounds and stuff and just kind of go from there and just pick out what they're doing and, you know, follow on. You got an opinion, Josh? No, that was a great answer. I, um, I do agree with his father, though. He, he'd do a lot better if he practiced more. I mean, the results are showing, buddy. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. I can't say much to you there. I think. I think also one of the things that the <laughs> the question was geared to was, if you are a beginner, is there one call among the other ones? Mm a style of calling that you would try to say, okay, I feel I feel comfortable walking out in the field knowing like a yelp and a cut or a yelp and a purr, like that kind of thing if you're a beginner hunter. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, in all honesty, man, if you're just looking, you know, if you have a hard time on a mouse call or something and you're just trying to master one thing, you know, the meat and potatoes of turkey calling and turkey hunting would just be if you could master a yelp. Mm. You know, if you got a yelp down, you could yelp loud and yelp soft a little bit and, you know, be able to tone it down. I mean, really. I don't know what you think, Josh, but I think that's about all you need in a lot of scenarios. Yeah, Rob, you you said it. I mean, yelping and cutting, that, whenever I've been asked that question in the past, it's, that's going to be the main calls you're using. I mean, yelping at them and, and cutting to locate, and if you can cut, you can obviously make cluck. Um, those would probably be my three most important ones. Cool. Good answers. Favorite turkey ammo? This one's for me? This is a generic one for either one of you, so whoever wants to answer first can dive in. That's an easy question for me. It'd be a three-inch number nine rogue. Can't beat them. What gauge? 12-gauge. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I have to to agree. After um, shooting them all last spring, I mean, we saw a lot of them. They were shooting at them, you mean? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> shooting at them when they hit man it's devastating as long as you get them in the head how's your hamstring <laughs> by the way <laughs> <laughs> it's better man when i got back from that trip it was like a week later i come in from hunting that morning around the house and i took off my hunting stuff out in the out in the garage and i come in i come into the kitchen in my underwear and was making a pot of coffee and my wife was sitting at the kitchen table, and she uh, she's behind me. She's like, oh, my God, what'd you sit in? The whole back of your leg blast. And I, was, I looked at it, and it was, oh. man, it was a, such a deep bruise. It was horrible. Did she? It really was horrible you? to watch, too, I can assure you. Yeah, it was, it was a bad deal, man. Did you get I'm going to have to carry a crutch around for you this year. Did you get any upper leg, like, sympathy massage or anything out of that, Josh, or, or no? Absolutely not. Okay. It's worth asking. Just, just for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, all right, Rob, you got the next question. Yeah, so as far as turkey vests go, do y'all have something that you really like to use? I mean, some of the questions that we saw came in had to do with like more of a stay out, like sit in a spot for a while kind of vest or like a run around, run and gun kind of vest as some people like to say. Like what what's Hunter, what's your kind of go to setup? Uh, my go-to would probably be that one from Nomad, that killing time vest, just because it's kind of your perfect in the middle. I mean, me personally, I'm not the type of guy that's going to sit there for much longer than an hour, if that. Yeah. So I like to, you know, I like to run and, run and gun and stuff. And 
you know, something that's kind of in the middle that's going to be comfortable for a decent period of time, but is also not going to be too crazy bulky and, you know, just lightweight and easy to pack around with is kind of what I'm looking for. Yeah, I feel that I feel the same way as Hunter on that one. I really like that uh, that killing time vest. I, I'm looking forward to getting one of those uh, those new Nomad Bowl loungers. I I messed around with them at some shows this summer and uh, seen it at NWTF. It looks like it'd be pretty comfortable if you get in a spot where you have to sit around for a while. It definitely. So. I checked one out this weekend at Paducah Shooters, and it's a little big. You know, it's heavy. But if you're going to wear a vest that's got a frame in it and sit for a little while, like, I'm not sure that that vest is not more comfortable than, like, a gobbler lounger. I mean, it yeah. would almost be worth chunking one in the truck and not having any calls and stuff in it. You know, so, that like, if you got to an afternoon and you were like, well, you know, heck, we're just going to go sit on this green field and just, you know, deer hunt for a little while, it would be it would be, yeah. you know, cat's meow. But I'm also thinking about a situation for that where if you get kind of stuck out in the open – or you're in a place where you can't really find a tree to lean up on, or you're out west or something, that's good to just kind of park it right there if one's, if one's yeah. coming around the corner on you fast. Sure. Sure. Super nice. Yeah. The killing time one that y'all like, though, is it does not have a frame. Is that correct? No. I mean, it's kind of got a little bit of a back support. Mm-hmm. It's got, like, these bars in there on the back that just kind of helps keep it straight. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, sit up like that one does in the sense of, like, a chair. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, but it's an all-around. It's an awesome vest, man. It's the favorite one I've worn in a long time for sure. Awesome. So, what? Uh, the next question that I've got, I guess this one's directed towards you, Hunter. But love your input as well, Josh. Talk about okay. a Jake Yelp and uh, when you would use a Jake Yelp in, a, you know, in a hunting scenario. Or in an engagement, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of times when I throw it out there, just, you know, if you got if you got a bird that's hung up, you know, out there, you're just not doing much. For me, it's kind of just something to, you know, when you're throwing the kitchen sink at them, it's something to, you know, try. Another time I'll do it sometimes if you know, you know, if you hear some jakes in there yelping, if you got a gobbler that's in there gobbling every once in a while, you'll hear, you know, that deeper note. I'd like to throw it in there too because, you know, it never hurts. It, it just, to, to me, it never hurts just because it's something that it's either going to break them or, you know, I don't think it's going to spook them in any way, shape, or form. So, you know, if you got one hung up, I think it's definitely worth throwing it out there several times. I think it's worked. Yeah. There, there's a lot of times in the spring, like Hunter said, you know, that gobbler will be out there. Or he'll be in the woods just around the hill from you or whatever, and, and you'll hear that, yo, stop, stop. And a lot of times what that is is, you know, there'll be a group of jakes or a jake with a long beard, and he's kind of just, he's doing that in reaction to that gobbler strutting and being able to reproduce that sound and kind of, you know, just having that something else to throw at him to kind of get in his head and maybe make him think that there's another gobbler around and he'll strutting or something else. But, yeah, just to have that in your in your bag of tricks to try. Little I, use it a, I use it a lot in the fall, jake yelping and gobbler yelping. What, what did you say, Hunter? I just said, you know, you kind of want to, sometimes you want to paint that picture of a flock effect. You, know, mm. you want it to be, you know, as many, sometimes as many sounds as you can make, whether it's Jake yelping or trying to sound like a couple different hens, you know, it never hurts. And Josh, when you referred to Jake yelping and gobbler yelping, what, like, what's the difference? Give us a, kind of explain the difference. I, um, 
honestly, I don't really think there is much of a difference other than, well, like a mature gobbler might have a deeper, more honkier yelp. But, uh, I mean, a Jake is a gobbler. And I've heard mature gobblers yelp and sound like hens and same with Jake. So but, they, uh, okay. I, I didn't know if there was a particular sound that you, or a cadence that you had in mind. I didn't know if like when you say a Jake yelp, if you had in mind kind of that, gow, 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 you know, that reactive sort of three, four, five yeah, note that they, you know, when they hear a bird gobble kind of thing. Right. Is there a difference? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a little bit deeper and coarser and sometimes a little bit slower in, uh, in rhythm. In the fall, is that the same cadence that a mature gobbler makes? If a if when you think of a gobbler yelp, um, like with that short front note, or is it is it more of a cadence like a hen, like a yelp 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 yelp? It's it's more of a deeper you know honking um, honking type yelp with with a you know a coarsier raspier back end. Okay. I can't say I've fall turkey hunted enough to know what a gobbler yelp sounds like in the fall. I've gob I've I've hunted a few times in the fall, but I've not been close to turkeys that were yelping of the male variety. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as far as a beginner or, or intermediate, somebody who's learning how to roost turkeys on their land and or anywhere they're going, what are some common mis- common mistakes, things to avoid? Uh that was just a collection of very weird sounds. Sorry, we got dogs barking in the background. <laughs> so, so someone who's learning how to roost a turkey, I mean, what are some ways that people make mistakes, whether that's getting too close or whether that's just getting out there in the wrong times? Just kind of your thoughts on that. Uh, I mean, when it comes to roosting a turkey, I think people overthink it a lot. Okay. To me, especially if you're hunting a block of timber or something, not the biggest deal in the world if you don't get one roosted just because you know in the timber you can slide around on them whenever in you know the right circumstances now it's always nice to have one roosted just so you know where he's at but you know to be in there the night before and you know slipping around and just trying to get as close as you can just to hear him fly up or something in my opinion is you know you're sometimes doing a little more harm than good i mean if you get to a spot where you're off a little bit and i'll hoot and try to get one to gobble that's great or, you know, if you're hunting somewhere that's got some fields and a spot that you can watch them from a distance from the truck or something or, you know, be able to slide up and just see what they're doing, yeah, I mean, I'm all for it. But, I mean, I think if you're hunting a big block of timber or, you know, if you're a guy who hunts public lot or something, to me, diving in there and trying to get as close as you can to them just to know where they are in the morning is a little bit over the top. I don't, I don't think it's really necessary. Brooke agreed. No, I just I agree with all that. Nice. Did you have a follow-up, Rob? Yeah. Another question that somebody kind of asked in line with the roosting conversation is, what if you set up – is there such thing as setting up too close to a gobbler? Like, if you set up and all of a sudden he starts gobbling over, like, just a couple trees down from you, are you in the prime spot, or do you run the risk of bumping them, or should you slide back? Or That was another question that was asked. I mean, you know, nine times out of ten when you get in there – that close the only reason you're getting in there that close is because it's pitch black dark mm-hmm. and, and you no. know he's there exactly and you know it's happened to everybody before probably where you sit down and start to break daylight and all of a sudden he gobbles in the tree above you and in that situation you know there's no doing anything there's no moving mm-hmm. there's nothing i think the best thing to do is just not say a word 
not move a muscle and just wait until he flies down and then kind of go at him from there. Yeah. Yeah, because the odds of him pitching straight down aren't good. No. Unless you want to pull a Carl Ray and bust him out of the limb. That ain't the best. A what? I said, unless you want to pull a Carl Ray and bust him out of the limb. So, so that, it's a guy down south, Josh. It's, you wouldn't understand this. Uh, that brings up a, a – let me reframe that question just a little bit. Let's say you got the bird roosted. How close are you going to get in the dark? Good question. Like, like how are you going to play this setup? And I know you're going to say it just depends, but, like, create a scenario and explain it. Go ahead, Josh. Uh, I was going to say, like, depending on the terrain, like, I mean, if he's, if he's off a point, I'm going to try to stay up above, but I'm going to get to where – I can see, you know, I'd say 80 yards is probably good um, to where I'd be somewhere where I could see him, you know, pitch down, see what side he lands on and know, you know, have a read on him where he's at. Uh, I think of a different type of scenario. Yeah, I think a lot of it just depends on if it's, you know, if you're hunting a complete, an area that's all, just all timber or an area that's got fields and whatnot, you know, especially mm-hmm. if you watch one fly up on the edge of the field. If he's in that field every day and you're watching him fly out there, you know, depending on where he's going to be, you don't really have to get all that close. Or if you want to, you know, you can slide right up on him. In the timber, in my opinion, you know, you got to kind of stay your distance a little bit better just to, you know, I'm, it, it just all depends on your cover, obviously. If you got some good cover, as close as you could get without spooking them is the best, obviously, but especially in open timber, you're not going to be able to get that close. So as long as you're within, you know, 100, 150 yards, I think you got a pretty good shot. So if, if you've got him roosted and you can get in there in the dark, do you try to get – let's just say it's woods, not a field edge, because if it's a field edge, I'm assuming, you know, you're going to probably have a decoy out. And, Absolutely. And, and so you're not necessarily needing you, – you don't – you're going to see him even from 300 yards away probably if you're across a field. So the proximities yeah. aren't going to matter quite as much. If if you've got one in the woods, a big block of woods, you know where he's roosted, are you going to try, like rule of thumb, try to get within 100 yards, or are you going to try to stay, would you say, more 100, 150 yards? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. If you could get in there when it's pitch black dark, I'd definitely like to be within, like Josh said, about 80 yards of him. Or as close as you could get. That's, you know, just the only thing like we talked about before, though, you can try to get any closer, which would be nice in some scenarios. You know, you never know what could have happened or, or your your bearings could be off a little bit and you might end up right on top of them. So, and you don't know what other turkeys are around there, too. Exactly. exactly. So, yeah, I'd say that 80 to 100-yard barrier is about your, your safe point for sure. And if you – if let's say you're in that 80 to 100-yard range – uh, you get in there in the dark. He's not spooked. He gobbles. Are you are you tree calling to him, or are you waiting until he flies down? I'll uh, I'll start calling to him as it gets a little bit closer to you know daylight and when he's going to fly down. I won't hit him you know in the dark when he first starts gobbling, but I definitely want him to know that I'm there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I've seen it happen a lot. Just a few soft yelps here and there, and I mean. A lot of times they've flown down and, I mean, just beelined it straight to me. And that's, that's my favorite type of hunting right there. Yeah, definitely. I'd agree. You know, I don't think you got a hound at them on the roost at all. It's definitely soft stuff. 
enough to let him know you're there for a little bit until he gets on the ground, and then, you know, then I think you can pour it to him. One more follow-up. That's good, really good answers. Do you think most of the time when you're hunted a roosted bird like that, does he typically have hens with him, or are the hens typically roosted somewhere else, or do you think that it just it's just always kind of a toss-up? Kind of toss-up. Yeah, I would definitely agree there. Okay. You think it's based on the bird? You think birds have behavior behavioral patterns like that? Like some birds just like to roost by themselves. Some birds just like to roost with others. You think it's more habitat and, and population density driven? I think it could have something to do with the habitat. You know, 90% of the time, if you set up on a on the edge of a field, there's going to be a pile of turkeys roosted in there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, say you drive, you know, you're at your hunting spot, you all hoot at night in the timber and one gobble. 300 yards in the middle of, you know, deep, dense timber, there's a decent chance that he might be by himself, you know? I mean, you just, mm-hmm. you never know. He also could get in there and he'd have 15 hens with him. You never know, but as a rule of thumb, I think, yeah, it might be have something to do with the habitat or who knows. It might just be something to do with the turkey himself. Nice. You got any yeah. other opinions, Josh? <laughs> we beat the um, roost hunting to death. I'm usually not up that early, so I really don't know. <laughs> oh, you want the next one, Rob? No, you can have the next one. So, uh, uh, where are we on this list? What's the craziest, most memorable hunt you've ever been on? Sheesh. Hmm. There's a lot of them. A lot of them to go through. Oh boy. I know my most memorable ones were with my dad and Jeff and Hunter. I mean, mm. like if I had to, you know, looking back on all of them over the years, I mean, those were, those are the ones that stand out to me that are my favorites. Um, but the uh, craziest. Uh, I love to hear you say that the most memorable are because of the people and not the bird. Crazy yeah. behavior of the bird. I mean, that's cool. That is cool. I, I totally agree with it, with with what where you're coming from there. I mean, for sure. But absolutely, I agree with Josh. Some of those hunts with his dad, and you know, all of us being there were some some pretty memorable hunts for sure. They're ones that I'll think about every spring when it comes around, and you know, ones that you'll cherish forever. As far as crazy goes, I mean, I know Josh and I, and since we've all seen some crazy ones come to head right now, I can't think of too many of them um the one you posted the other day i was day, about to say that one comes to my mind that was, pretty that was a pretty good one yeah yeah that's one of my that's one of my favorites that was a uh that was a heck of a home that was one from two years ago well yeah covid spring and uh yeah that was that was that was a pretty neat hunt for sure that was up here in pa and we've had a lot of good ones up here haven't we josh oh yeah yeah for sure hunter can you i for people who haven't seen the video, or even for people who have, it looked like that came together all at once on that one hunt. Kind of what happened, and can you tell us a little bit about it? Stretch it out? Yeah, definitely. definitely. That uh, that hunt in particular, I remember that day pretty good. We had been on a bunch of turkeys, and it was just it was a tough day for some reason. It was early in the season, and, uh, you know, the early part of the season here, we only had till noon. 
And, uh, man, I think it was like 1130. We rolled to that spot, walked in a little ways, and struck that bird. And we had that cool setup there, like laying down. So tried him, tried him, tried him. I mean, nothing. He just went completely cold on us. Never made a noise. And it's getting, you know, it's, it's approaching noon pretty quick. And, uh, rather than get a different setup, just cause that was so cool. I'd walk down to the, we're on the edge of the field there. I walked down to the edge of that timber where he was in and start calling real loud, real loud. And finally sparked back up. I stood there calling to him and man, I mean, within a matter of minutes, I could already tell that he'd cut the distance he was coming. I came back and sat down and that sucker was just basically trailing me, man. He was right there and mm. wasn't long at all. And he'd come right to us and, the craziest thing about it, like the short clip, the short clip that I posted, and even in the longer clip that's been posted around a little bit, is you can't tell. Like that turkey, when I'm laying there on the ground, he comes right up. There's a stone wall on the edge of that wood. He comes right up the edge of that stone wall, and I mean, he is to my right. And I mean, even in the camera, you can't even tell. He is to my right, standing there, gobbling, sitting and drumming at like no more than two, three yards for like you know five minutes, which uh. felt like an eternity. And in uh. the worst. Yeah. Huh? And the worst part was, uh, you know, I couldn't do anything because I was laying down right like that. And we, you know, we we're getting down to the wire with time there. And the way he was standing, I just don't think he could ever see those decoys out in that field. There's a big bush right there. And you, I, you know, I still remember it as he was walking. He turned around to leave and going back where he was. And he took about, oh, I don't know, five steps and he stopped and he picked his head up. And from that point on, man, he just beeline right to the decoys. And it was. It was a cool one, man. The way that all turned out was that was definitely a pretty memorable one for sure. That was a cool hop. Man. Yeah, kid. You remember the one from last year, the first day we were up in Wisconsin in the afternoon? Yeah, we I do had, remember that one. We had we'd driven up there. We left in the morning, Hunter and I did. We got up there and uh, we met up with my buddy Tom and, and his son in law, Justin. And we went to a place and uh, was it one long beard and a handful of Jake's. And Hunter killed the, the long beard and and we went to another spot, and as we're driving by, there were three big, three big gobblers out in this field, and we made a big loop up and around and come in on the ridge top up above them and started calling, and they instantly started gobbling. So we got set up in this little, uh, there's a kind of a little hidden field up on top of this uh, wooded ridge top, and had a decoy set out. And I mean, before we could even get set up, I mean, they gobbled, and they were just right over the bank. And uh, we're sitting there facing the decoys with our backs kind of to these turkeys. And we're, we're thinking, man, we can get all three of them right in there and, and each of us kill one, you know. And what was it, about 20 minutes, they were behind us the whole time just strutting and gobbling. Oh, yeah. And, like, right there. But uh, at one point, like, you were talking about that one standing a few yards away from me gobbling the whole time. Like, I was so rock steady not being able to move. And these turkeys were so close to my left. And I yelped real soft on my mouth call, and Hunter could see them and see me. He and I couldn't see the turkeys, but they gobbled so close, and I flinched so hard. And you remember sitting there oh laughing? Oh my god, dude! I'm telling you, I don't know how I didn't spook those turkeys by laughing as hard as I was. I mean, it was so <laughs> because if if you remember, they kind of they had kind of they were right there for a little bit, and then they kind of worked off, and they went like quiet for you know they only went like thirty yards, and then they had worked back to us. He yelped one time, dude, and they gobbled right in his face and he freaking jumped so hard i'm telling you i was sitting there behind him i don't know how they didn't see me I mean, my shoulders were sure i couldn't even hold it together i was laughing so hard i don't know what it was it was so funny about it but it really was funny but they 
they finally made a move and, and went back. They were all struck, and they got back behind us about, I don't know, 30 yards behind the big thicket. And I asked Hunter, I'm like, man, can you see him? And he's like, no. I said, well, am I all right to just stand up then? And he said, yeah. So I stood up and just kind of eased around facing towards where they would come out if they come back through. And <clears throat> they ended up working their way back through. And the first one come through an opening maybe 15 yards. And he raised his head up, and I shot him. Uh, I went running over to him. And he's laying there flopping, and there's his buddy behind him flopping which, I mean, it was perfectly legal because they had multiple tags and you can use them in one day, but um, had no idea the other turkey was even right there with them. And they both had inch and a half spurs. Oh, they were giant. That's that was crazy. pretty awesome. That was a cool hunt, man. That's nuts. <laughs> wow. Uh, I just lost my – I got to daydreaming about No, you're good. Standing All right, we got a softball question <laughs> Softball question for you, Hunter. He, uh, he asked, like, do you feel that your hat being backwards is like your signature move? Like is it like Stone Cold Stunner or help you kill more turkeys? Unpack that for us a little bit. Well, I'm not sure. Uh, let's call it more like a hero's cape maybe, you know, <laughs> something like that. I'm sure, whoever, I'm sure whoever asked that. Was more than likely a TFC guy. Hundred percent. In that aspect, I would say that my signature move is probably actually killing turkeys. It seems like those guys have a real hard time doing it. So I say that signature move, move right Ooh. there. Wow. I will say this: that might get you an invitation into the TFC thread hunt because <laughs> because. They've I been so. absolutely, wow. they listen to every episode and we get critiqued every episode in the TFC thread. <laughs> oh, that's good. Hey man, I know, I know all last spring I was getting so many comments on my Instagram and stuff. They must be bored. They're just not on them or something. They were, they're too bored to be killing turkeys. I can tell you that much. I'm not defending any of them because they can flat type text messages in that group me thread faster than anybody I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, but they do kill a lot of turkeys. So. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. I can't wait for the ramifications of that. <laughs> oh, love it. <laughs> um, all right. So back to a slightly more serious or proper topic. What do you do when a gobbler, um, like what's your go-to when you feel like a gobbler's hung up, it comes in hot, maybe you've got other, you know, factors involved, like you've heard some hens, but you feel like he just kind of stalls out. What's your, typically what's your, uh, what's your plan? What's your plan of attack? Well, I've learned over time just to kind of go to ride it out a little bit, just kind of shut up and be patient, but Hunter's probably thinking something completely different. Um, Yeah. I mean, it, it, it all depends. If you got, you know, if you got the ground on them and it's legal in your state, you can move around on them and get as close as you can, whether it be crawling or, you know, it's, it's nice in hunting in hilly types of uh, timber and whatnot or, you know, even fields or whatever. When you got a lot of that topography like that, it's easier to slip around on them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you get, just like with the rooster thing, as close as you, especially if you're just hunting in, and you get as close as you can get without spooking them, that's always the best thing and sometimes with those hung up ones you could kind of just let them go and maybe they'll get into a spot where you could slide around on them whether it be the side of a hill or you know goes over a rise or something like that you know just kind of sticking with them or sometimes you know it's best to just leave them and come back for another day 
or a few hours later. Very true. Very true. Yeah. I've seen it happen a bunch. I mean, turkeys fly down in the field and they'll gobble their brains out, you know, for a half hour in one spot and a few hens show up and then, you know, they just shut up for, seems like forever, you know, it might be an hour or whatever and they're just strutting around hens and then finally they'll get to their business and do their breeding and then once those hens are gone, man, and they're breaking and they're coming right to you. Hmm. But it's just, it's just having the patience. Absolutely. If you've got a bird in the woods that's um, gobbling by himself, you haven't made him gobble, so you've covered some, you know, let's just say you're in a big block and you're covering ground and you hear one gobble on his own. What's your, are you going, let's just call him, I'm trying to paint a scenario so that you don't tell me it just depends. Because <laughs> yeah. that's what you're going to say. But let's just say he's 300 yards away. Are you going to sit down and try to work him right there the first time you hear him gobble or are you going to do something different? What's your what's well, your plan of attack? I mean, if he's gobbling on his own and he's steadily gobbling, I'm going to cover as much ground as I can and try to get to the best spot where I think it's going to be easiest for him to get to me when I get as close as I feel like I can without, you know, him in me. And then soft stuff. Like if he's, you know, on a flat or he's in a bottom or whatever, I want to get somewhere where it's for him way to me. Absolutely. I think a good rule of thumb, no matter what situation you're in, is, you know, try to get as close as you can with the given scenario that you got. Especially, you know, here a lot, if, you know, if you'd asked me that question, that's almost, in a way, a seasonal question. You know, if you got, especially up here in PA or, you know, the Northeast, wherever in the timber, it's so open, the beginning part of the season there. If he gobbles, you know, 300 yards away on his own, I might not be able to even get any close. Mm. And, you know, even though it looks like it, you know, or sounds like he's a long ways away, even though it's so wide open like that, you know, sometimes you're better off just sitting down. You know, later in the spring, obviously, if you get a little bit more green on and stuff, you could definitely get a little bit closer. I mean, like I said, I always like to get as close as I possibly can. So if I had heard one at 300 yards, I'd like to get at least to within 150 if I can. Good answer. So rule of thumb, I mean, it's basically it's very elementary and kind of basic, but rule of thumb, you're always going to try to get as close as you can get as the train will allow or the vegetation will allow. You're going to try to get as close as you can get before you try to work that bird. Absolutely. Yeah, I think yep. if you're, I think if you're in this bubble, you're probably, you know, you're better off nine times out of ten, for sure. Okay. So before even calling the first time, you'll hear them before you've made any calls. You're gonna cut that distance as much as you feel comfortable before initiating any sort of contact. Absolutely. Well, it depends. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> before. Okay. No, I mean sense. that's with with what you said, Rob. I mean. If you don't have to make a turkey call to make him gobble, if he's, if he's doing it on his own, you don't want to make a turkey, a, a hen call or whatever, and possibly get him coming your way while you're moving on him. Mm. It just and it also gives you the time once you do get as close as you could think to get a good setup and you know be able to pick the perfect tree instead of you know you yelped at him and you walked another hundred yards to yelp again and there he gobbled right at your feet and blows your hat off. You know, yeah, you like, get, I like that you know, one we saw in Georgia last year, Hunter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, Dylan I'm was, not gonna lie, I was not ready for that. <laughs> Dylan was sitting it. down; he was getting all camoed up, and Hunter <laughs> just like yelped to him one time, and Dylan was like, "Stop, stop, stop!" And Hunter was like, "Just I honestly was thinking to myself, listen, we had worked 15 different turkeys in the last. Yeah, they weren't two coming, days, and none of them were coming. So I'm gonna sit here and at least try to get this sucker fired up. Boy, was I wrong about that? I sat down. and he, there he was. <laughs> That's funny. He made a half a yelp, and I mean, it oh, was like man. he blew our hats off at sixty yards. Hunter goes, "I can see him." Like <laughs> you could see him gobbling <laughs> before yeah. his head stuck back up. Yeah, <laughs> that. So it's interesting, and this is a shameless plug to talk tell my turkey story, but also it was a lot like what happened on Monday. Is we were in a spot, and we thought they were going to be out in front of us. Ended up they were gobbling off our left shoulder, and so JG. Yelped at him a few times, and then we just then he decided, okay, we got to make a move because he's we we thought he was either going the other way or wasn't going to move for us, and so we come up, we get to a little clearing, he owl hoots just to like locate him or anything, and then he just pow hits it right on it, he and we're cut like the distance on y'all already, yeah, so we're like we're in, we're in the middle of a gap, and he 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 hammers on it, and then we basically had to dive in the bushes, gobbled again, and then. <laughs> didn't didn't gobble again. Came to about thirty five and shot him. But it was one of those things where like we were talking afterwards. And we're like, we got really lucky because because we yelped and then moved. He was already coming our way, and we had no idea mm-hmm. that he was coming. So that's a that's a you know that very much could have been him coming around the corner, seeing us and taking oh, off. Oh yeah. So, oh yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So talk about you guys each take a turn at this, but talk about how you use different calls. So when you would use a pot call or a box call, like when you use friction versus when you'd use a mouth call, do you ever use it at the same time? I mean, one person asked, if you have three decoys out, do you call it three different calls at the same time? And, uh, I mean, I know the answer to that, but kind of help, I guess, talk through, you guys make good turkey sounds on every different turkey call that you touch. Talk about how you use different calls and, and, you know, what you do with them, when you use them. Well, I mean, a lot of times for me it's weather dependent. You get a real windy day or something, uh, especially when you're running and gunning. I'm always going to have that, that glass call, Terrence's glass call out. And, you know, running and gunning in general, I really, really like that call. It reaches out there a long way, cuts through the wind, uh, you know, for just walking around trying to strike one up. That is awesome. Now, when I sit down on a turkey – Nine times out of ten, I'm always going to have a mouth call in. Sometimes, if you get one hung up, you know, kind of like we were talking about with Jake yelping before, I'll pull out that glass call and just hit him with some soft yelps and stuff just to get a little different sound out there. But for me personally, it's just a back and forth between the mouth call and that uh, that glass call pretty much. Glass call, a lot when I'm running and gunning. Sometimes I'll use a mouth call too if I think i got to tone down a little bit, just you know, because they're not gobbling as hard or whatever. But, uh, you know, I, I like uh, I like that glass call a lot for running and gunning and windier days and stuff. And you know, when I'm sitting down on them, that's that's when I'm always always usually have a mouth call. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I know when trying to you know cover ground and locate, it seems like I'm always you know starting with a mouth call, and if nothing answers that, I'll go to a, a friction call, glass or slate, and then onto a box call if nothing else. If they're not hitting on that, just just trying to find something that. Uh, you know, they're, turkeys can be goofy, and sometimes they won't answer a mouth call or a box call, but they'll be all over a, a glass call or a slate call. Just no rhyme or 
reason why, I don't know, but um, constantly trying different stuff when, when other things aren't working is, is why I'm doing it. It's a good answer. I like that. Absolutely. I don't I don't think it hurts at all to have as many calls in your vest as you want to carry. The only reason I carry two for me is just because I like being light and portable and, you know, not having a bunch of clunk and, you know, box calls clucking yep. and stuff when you're walking around. But yeah, I, it definitely doesn't hurt to have as many as you can fit in your vest, really. Hmm. I will say I hunted with Hunter at the end of May, and if you poured water on the top of that crystal call, it would stand where he had <laughs> wallered it out. I mean, he, he met have put a divot in that Terrence pot last year. I mean, <laughs> we were all over trying to get him. It got intense there. Toward the end. Yeah, but I just mean you you had conditioned. I mean, that was – heck, you'd been oh, hunting yeah. since the middle of March. I mean, you wore the surface of that. Absolutely. You need to bring it by, and we'll have to glue a new piece of crystal down. Yeah. yeah. So, so I guess in line with that question a little bit, do you have a, a last resort kind of call that you go to if you're like, okay, this is a little bit out there, but this is either going to bring him right to me or blow the whole hunt, kind of like an Alamo kind of style call that you kind of reach for? I mean, I've tried a fight and purr. I can say one time in my life for sure. Uh, maybe five or six years ago, I was hunting in Alabama with a buddy of mine. We'd had these, it was the last day that we were supposed to be down there. And uh, we'd had these turkeys that broke three, 400 yards, and they got to like 70 or 80 yards, and they just, you know, stopped. They put the brakes on. They just stood there and stood there and gobbled and gobbled and gobbled. And finally, we had just, for the heck of it, thrown a fight and purr at them. And sure enough, man, those suckers broke. And I mean, absolutely ran in. Now, I've seen that a lot of times not work, but, you know, in that particular case, and other times I've seen it too, where fight and purrs just, you know, they just broke right to it. So, I would say a desperation call is fighting birds often. Yeah, I'll agree with that. That and um, I've I've had a lot of success over the years just try, just gobbling at them with on the mouth call. Yeah, and uh, well, shoot, sometimes I won't even use that as a last last ditch effort. I mean, it's it's proven pretty deadly. Mm. Um, do you have one, Spence? Ah, uh, no. I mean, I will occasionally gobble with my box call. I can't gobble on a mouth call, but I can gobble pretty good on my box. But, no, I'm, I'm not much. My last resort is just to spook them. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like me. <laughs> just being honest, like, I just don't make enough good turkey sounds like these boys do. If I had one that's hung up at 150 yards, I would probably come closer to – continuing to get up and move to move or to, to him. or to crawl towards him like just trying to gain ground before i would try something yeah. you know call wise now i will say though and i know josh remembers this and hunter probably does too but uh i at paducah shooters i saw a pair of the old night and hail push button fighting hen purr you know the twin purrs. oh yeah yeah yeah, in the, the day, dueling hens. yeah, dueling hens. Those were hot. And one time, like Hunter said, I saw an old man. We had a bird in Missouri that was coming, and he kind of hung up at you know 100, 120 yards, and just kind of stood out there and gobbled at the end of a knob. And he reached in his pouch, and he's like, "I don't know, this is either going to work or we're going back <laughs> for lunch." But he said, "Either way, I'm tired of screwing around with this bird." And he started <laughs> both. Yeah, <laughs> he come on our run, and he gave him. Knocked him for a loop. That's we, awesome. We went and ate lunch with a dead turkey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's man, cool. those calls, those calls back in the day. I mean, they actually they were 
really good sounding Yelpers. Too. Yeah, they were absolutely. And the way they had them designed, they it was a it was two push button calls, and they were like together. So when you pulled it, they they would both they would both you know purr at the same time kind of thing, and so mm. it was like concurrent you know fighting. Like on top of each other, really yeah. sounded like a fighting purr. It was awesome. Yeah. So, anyways, another follow up to that: if you have that situation, is it is it worth spooking the bird to do a last ditch and just say, you know what, he's not coming. I'm gonna come back tomorrow, or if you booger him. Is that the kind of deal where he's going to be back and play again the next day, or does that make sense? I don't know if I asked that right. Are you asking? Yeah, yeah. No, or, yeah. Go ahead. No, I. I... Go ahead, Josh. <laughs> Josh Grossenbacher, everybody. Go ahead. I know. Of, I mean, numerous times. Like, I mean, you know, you're pushing the envelope. It's getting close to quitting time, whatever, and you got to make a move. And yeah, you might bump him or booger him, whatever. But uh, had a bunch of times where you know end up killing them right in the same spot the next morning. I mean, just because you bump them, I mean, doesn't mean that they're going to go five miles or whatever. Yeah, they're going to oh, run off and settle down, and they'll get back in their routine. I agree. I think I think a lot of it has to depend too, especially if you're out of state or something. You only got a few days to hunt. I would definitely definitely try it. Then you know, if I was at home or something, and I had all season to play with one, maybe that'd be a situation where I wouldn't try as hard but at the end of the day i would definitely still try i'm all about seeing <laughs> yeah i've never seen you walk away from one no <laughs> it also kind of depends on how many spots you got to hunt you know? yeah oh yeah i mean because around here you know i've only got a couple spots that are like really close to the house that yeah. i can hunt for 30 minutes i got a few spots that are further away that i may go hunt for a couple of days but if I got a spot around here and one's not cooperating, I'm pro and I can slip out. I'm I'm more likely to slip out and leave him alone. And I gotcha. catch him catch him on a morning when he really wants to do it right, you know. And but uh, you know, cool. I guess it, like Hunter said, it just depends. If you're yeah. out of state and it's like, <laughs> yeah, you gonna like, push it like yeah. the two birds we killed with trip last year. I mean, it was like down to the wire, and we were needed to yeah. catch a flight in an hour, and it was like we're gonna keep getting close to these turkeys until they either die or run off. <laughs> yeah, and they died. Yeah. <laughs> they did. I feel like we should just name this episode. It depends. Exactly. Well, that's but that's <laughs> the truth. I mean, oh it, yeah, for sure, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I just, I just that occurred to me. So, all right, Spence, you got the next one. Favorite camo pattern. Bottomland. I would say the new bottomland. Really? I like the new bottom line a lot, man. Interesting. Yep. Interesting. Mine's tree stands. Yeah. That's a good one. I love That's that a green good one. You like green leaf? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. Shadow branch used to be my favorite, but it's been out of commission for years. Yeah. Josh, what's your favorite uh, pattern for duck hunting? Bottom land. Because everything's better in bottom line. That's right. Hunter, Josh is a big grinder. Has he told you about any of his waterfowling this, this winter? I've, I've heard all about it. Man. I've heard I... all about it. I've, any more spent turkey hunting still in the void in between duck season? Yeah. He said, I was, I was out of Josh's Just place. kidding. <laughs> I, was, I was out of Josh's place toward you know, the beginning of January there, doing some deer hunting, just hopping around the shop a little bit. And, February. Uh, February, Wait, whatever. What did you say? 
I said I was doing some deer hunting and helping you around the shop a little bit. Is that okay? That's what I thought you said. You're so full of it. Helping okay. me what? I don't want to say on the air. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I, I was out there, and it was brutal cold when I was hunting in the evenings, and Josh had a pair of those shin bottoms. And he's like, yeah, man, here, you can, buy, you can wear them. They're really warm. So he pulls them down, and his daughter Claire's right next to him. And he's like, "Here, honey, look at these. This is what Daddy uses when he's kicking when he's kicking water." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So he's a big right. timber boy now. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, oh, what's our next Ooh. question here? <laughs> okay, so if you're between two hot birds, do you pick one bird, the best sounding one, or the closest sounding one, or do you go in the middle and kind of let them come to you, or what? I'm going to let that one play out and I'm going to manage stay where I'm at and see what they're going to do. Usually one's going to get there before the other. Yeah. I think that's a spot on answer. I'd, I'd do the same for sure. Any particular food plots or food sources that you like to hunt more than another? <laughs> it's corn. Corn mainly. <laughs> Whole kernel cracked. Which which do you prefer? <laughs> uh, whatever. It seems, like, it seems like those uh, you know, like little clover spots in the south especially are pretty hard to beat. Mm-hmm. A lot of bugs and clover. Yeah. Are you guys yeah, planting chufa like and do what? Yeah. You guys planting chufa and hunting over that. Yeah, chufa Literally. in the parts of the country where they can grow it seems to be like crack for them, man. I mean Definitely seems like you can't run them out of a chufa patch, but I've had trouble getting it to grow in the river bottoms. I don't know if it's because the coons eat it. You know, I've heard that, that um, the coons will dig it up and eat it, or I don't know if it's that or just because of how much silt we've got and, and weeds, you know, just mm. choke it out. But Boozer and all of them in South Carolina have real sandy soil, and they just crush them over chufa patches. Um, mm. um, let's see... How do you approach an afternoon pasture bird without the use of a fan or a decoy? Well, that depends. <laughs> I would I would approach that on um, hoping I know where he's roosting, and it's going to be more of a deer hunt trying to catch him going back to roost in the in the evening. Yeah, I think. Uh... I think your scouting plays a huge role into that. If you can figure out where he's coming out in the afternoons or where he's going back in or maybe somewhere in the middle where you can cut him off, that uh, I think that would probably get it done. Or, you know, if you got the right scenario where you can move around on him and just kind of, you know, you drive by and see him and get a, a direction on where he's going and be able to somehow get around in front of him, I think, you know, that's, that's definitely an effective way of getting him. Love it. Run and gun clean miss on a four-year-old or sit in a pop-up for four hours and kill a two-year-old? <laughs> Who asked me I don't know. <laughs> or I know, but I'm, I'm not going to say. It's a great question. <laughs> it's like you want to kick in the balls or kick in the shin. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know, man. I don't I'll do whatever it takes to kill them, that's for sure. But I do kind of draw the line at sitting in the blind. <laughs> so, I don't know. I do like killing them. I, that's a tough one right there. I don't even know if I can answer that. What do you think, Josh? 
uh, you'd probably take missing them and blowing your hamstring out, right? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's all right for them to win. I'm proud of y'all. It's about the memories. The memories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm proud so of it, dep- it depends on who I'd have to sit in that blind with. <laughs> I'm with you. I don't like sitting in a tent, but, man, I sure hate walking away from one after missing it. <laughs> missing it sucks. Oh, it sucks. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh. Uh, I try to avoid both of those situations. How about that? Four yeah, hours in a pop-up exactly. tent sounds awful. That does. A little steamy. Yeah. Oh. What are you doing if a bird flies down and starts going the opposite way? Do you trail him or do you try to swing a big loop? Well, if you've got the – if you're capable to make a loop on him, I would much rather try to get in front of him than trail him. Is, is that because he's more likely it seems to like, – go ahead, sorry. I was going to say, more times than not, when he's going away that whole time, he's with hens or a hen, and the more you trail them and call to them, the faster they're going away. You're better off to, to work around and, and try to get get out in front somewhere. Hmm. Yeah, I agree My with that opinion. 100%. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I think, I mean, there's definitely a small – small amount of times that I could recall of having them turn around after they've gone away from me, especially once you've been calling to them for a while. I mean, it's in the odd scenario that you're sitting there not calling at all and he starts going away from you, then yeah, maybe it's worth a shot. But, you know, once you've been calling to him and he goes the opposite way, you definitely got to try to get around and get in front of him because there's not much sense in just following him around. You're just going to push him, really. Okay. So, a question, another question that we got is about hilly properties. How do you approach hunting one of those as far as like where you want to position yourself, how you want to call, uh, more about positioning than anything. I think on a spot that's super hilly, nine times out of 10, you're always going to want to be above them if you could help it. Now, obviously that's not always achievable, but if you can do it and be above them, you know, for whatever reason, they just always seem to work uphill a lot better. Not that they won't come downhill, but you know, a lot of times, it seems like they'll work uphill a lot better. Another thing I've noticed with super hilly properties is, you know, you strike a turkey down this bottom and you call him up to the top, and at that top there's kind of a bench where he can't see up over it. A lot of times if you're sitting close to that bench, man, for whatever reason when he pops up, especially with decoys, and I don't, I don't know why if it just scares me or whatever. There's surprises them. Yeah, as soon as they pop up over, they just freak out, and you know they go right back down over the bench. So. You know, hmm. what I've noticed, I think the best thing to do is either sit right where you could shoot him when he comes up over, and, you know, when he comes up over, you better shoot him or back up off of it a little bit to where he has to come over and keep on looking, you know, go that extra distance a little bit. I agree 100% with that. So with decoys, giving them space so that the first time they see him, they're not 10 feet from it is what you're yeah. saying. Give him a chance to, to cross yeah. the, 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 the knob or the hill see the decoy, get comfortable, and then close out. That makes sense because yeah. a lot of times when you see a turkey interact with the decoy, he's coming, coming, coming. When he sees the decoy, he kind of stops and, like, takes it all in before he comes yeah. to the last little bit. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. It's weird, man. Especially up here at home, I've noticed a lot of times where 
they've come up over a bank and they see the decoys and they just start pup, pup, pup. they start putting and you think they're spooked, but they'll go back down over and they'll just start gobbling them. So it doesn't really spook them, but it's just I don't know, it's just a fact of like boom, there it is right there. I think something just kind of blurgers them up, not enough to scare them, but enough to just you know mess your hunt up for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Good answer. Um, Another thing in in big hills and having like the um. Oh, the availability of like Onyx maps, you know, and, and showing the, the topography of like where you're hunting. Like if you hear a bird gobbling off in a howler or something and you can kind of pinpoint it on your, on your map, you know, and, and work around like over the ridge tops and get around to them that way instead of like dropping down in and going after them. Um, that's a big advantage as well. Oh yeah. In so, big, big so, that you're country. Ab- so that you're above him the whole time. And going yeah, and, and you're not you're not killing yourself trying to get to them, you know, mm-hmm. doing all yeah. that climbing and when using yeah. the natural cover of the hills to move a little quicker. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point though, because a lot of times when you go down into the holler, then back up the other side, the, the bottom of that holler just kills you. I mean, there'll be a ditch oh, down yeah. there, and you think you get all the way down to the bottom of it and think, well, I can just cross right here, and then you fall through the log that's going across the creek or whatever. It's just a a mess. So that, that's a yeah. good point. Um, all right. So, you know, with the popularity of Dave Owens and the hunting public, and there is a lot of really high quality these days, do-it-yourself, public land, turkey hunting content on YouTube. And so it's, I mean, y'all both know there's a huge rise in popularity of guys that are traveling, hunting turkeys on public land big national forest tracks talk about how yeah um if you were going to attack that uh, a new place somewhere you've never been how would you go about kind of breaking down a map or how would you decide where you were going to start without intel from another person you know what i'm getting at yeah um i mean again depending on where you're at if it was a huge, huge, huge block of timber that was just timber, I would look for any open areas, you know, see if there's any fields on or anything that would be a little bit easier to scout. Uh, I'd look for water, especially in big timber areas. You know, I'd say that there's definitely going to be turkeys moderately close to water if there's not a lot of water on the property. And other than that, you know, I, I, I think a lot of public land guys, you know, as well as I do, they're marching way in there to get up a lot on a lot of these turkeys. So I'd be looking at the spots that look the most productive that are a ways off. Personally, I just think not a lot of guys that are hunting the public land religiously that are from around there, especially those older guys are not going to trek way, way back in if they don't have to. So personally, I'd be looking at the spots that other guys aren't, you know, aren't going to be hitting as hard, you know, kind of keep them to yourself and, uh, just spots that have the best habitat, sure. Yeah, that and I would drive around like a little after daylight and find the spots with the most vehicles parked at them because those are probably pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and go in there and just attack them like a savage. I mean, get right in there with some other guys. <laughs> Public man, that's exactly how I taught you how to duck hunt, Josh. You get there about thirty minutes after light, listen to the shooting, go towards the shooting. (laughs) Hey man, been doing this a long time. 
<laughs> Learn from the best. Running those rivers. <laughs> That's my tip of the day. <laughs> oh, I no, love what, Hunter, what Hunter said, 100% uh, what I was thinking. I mean, getting away from the crowds is, is really what you got to do and finding those off those spots off in the middle of nowhere where those turkeys are aren't beat up. And I, man, my, my biggest uh, pet peeve in turkey hunting is competing with other people on places mm-hmm. like that. And, uh, <clears throat> nothing, nothing makes, I mean, missing a turkey sucks, but having somebody else walk in on you is. It's awful. I agree. It's, yeah. It's just bad or it's bad for everybody. <laughs> I agree. All right. Got another one. So, uh, Walter Fafa. Man, that's a. <laughs> Is there another option? <laughs> Rob? No, haven't I've I've got to spend a lot of time on the road with, with both of them over the years and actually lived with both of them for, for a few years. That's and gay, um, Josh. Hey, <laughs> Is what it is. <laughs> but, I got uh, it, <laughs> I like that one. Um, no, man, they're both great guys, and uh, both have a lot of a lot of qualities. Walt's the uh, Walt's the creative thinker guy, where Papa is more of the uh, worker guy. Um, one of uh, one of my favorite stories with Walt was, man, it's probably been. 12 or 13 years ago, we were out in Kansas and we were hunting a bunch of public land out there and, and uh, we had found it on online and we found a hotel where we were going to stay out there and that was close to it and we got out there and there was uh, there was some a big road project going on and the whole motel was packed. I mean, it was, it was completely full with these uh, road crew guys. So we had to drive like another, it was like an hour away from where we were hunting to find a hotel to stay in, and uh, from where we were hunting. And one day we hunted that morning, we went back to town to, to uh, change clothes and, and uh, recharge some batteries and stuff and grab lunch, whatnot. We were heading back out. We drove all the way back out to our spot and man, we rolled up on this place and there's three big gobblers out in this little field strutting. And it's like, oh man, we're going to ride up the road park and we're going to slip in there and get, get right in tight with them. And, uh, got up there and parked i grabbed my gun got it loaded and uh walt was getting his stuff together and he's like dude uh i forgot the camera oh, i was no. like, <laughs> like you gotta be kidding me <laughs> so we drove an hour back to the hotel oh got the camera come back another hour back to it you know and uh, those gobblers weren't right there where where uh where we had initially seen them and we had to we got in there and we chased them around for a little bit but uh our best opportunity had passed while we were driving back and forth to get the camera you know it was one of those moments where you know it's like you had one job and uh but no that that was uh looking back on it that was a that was a fun memory and he's, he's got i'm sure just as many Ugly stories on me. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, last question. 
um, paint the picture of the last 150 yards of a gobbler that's that's uh, so you've gotten in position, you got about as close as you can get, and he's coming to you. Um, you know, are you calling all the way to the decoy? Do you stop at a certain point? Kind of both of you kind of walk through the scenario and what's going through your mind and how you're making decisions, you know, as you close one out. Um, I think, you know, that last 150 yards, it's critical to definitely not overcall, especially if he's coming. If he's coming, man, in my opinion, there's not much sense to do too much to him. You know, as he's, as he's coming, he's gobbling every intermittently. I'll, actually call back to him if he gobbles on his own i'll just give him a little bit of soft help or something but up until i see him i'm gonna call to him more until i see him when i see him it's kind of judged off his behavior i mean if he's coming hard you know just just breaking right in there's absolutely no sense in my mind to call to him whatsoever especially if you don't have decoys just let him keep coming looking uh if you have decoy if you have decoys i I don't think it hurts to just you know yelp right out over those decoys so he can see him but man once you can see him you lay the eyes on him He's coming. There's not much sense in calling to him, even if he's coming slow. Just let him work his way in. You know, I don't think I don't think there's any reason in the world. And if you say a whole lot to him, it might just hang him up. Yeah, you take your time and get your breathing together and, and your thinking, and don't miss. Yeah. So if he's if he's coming, but it's just slow, you typically just hold tight. But if yeah, if if he starts to stand still or move a different direction, like hang up, what call are you, you know, what are you, what sounds are you making? Stop, stop, yelp. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just, just whatever kind of real soft stuff and not a whole bunch of it, just a little bit to keep him, you know, to keep him interested so he doesn't lose interest and to keep him to where he's got to keep looking for it. Yeah, a lot of times with, with decoys, with the, with the scenario that you're talking about, like, Say they're sixty yards away and they're they're kind of just stopping and standing and looking. I'll hit them with that real soft throaty, you know, just really really light yelps. And man, that seems to just break them a lot. Hmm. I like it. Any any parting shots that you give to a new turkey hunter? Um, you know about learning the game, advice. Be patient. Be a sponge. Uh, don't give up when you're getting your butt kicked. I feel like every good turkey hunter I know has paid his dues in uh, missing and getting, you know, spooking gobblers. It's, every turkey hunt is a new experience, and there's always a lesson to learn whether you kill one or not. Um, it's awesome. That's what I would say. Yeah, I think I could definitely see how a new guy, how it could be very, very frustrating, but and you just got to stick with it. Uh, I think another thing is, uh, you know, to a new hunter is make sure you're giving yourself uh, enough opportunity on decent property, whether it be public or private. You know, if they're not there, you're not going to give yourself an opportunity at them. So, you know, make sure that you're hunting a place that has them and, uh, and you're wasting your time if you're, if you're not hunting a spot that has them. I think that gets overlooked. You know, if somebody just has, 50 acres that they could hunt there might not be a bird on it so don't waste your time and get frustrated at hunting turkeys that aren't even there love it love it i can echo that from hunting with you hunter i mean 
you don't have much uh, emotional attachment to just picking up and going to another spot. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yelp about no, four times a few cuts in between there. And he ain't in the mood. Let's find one that is. <laughs> yeah. It does not hurt my feelings to leave. <laughs> so, well, guys, very much appreciate your time. And uh, shoot. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for sharing all your turkey knowledge with us. Let's go kill one. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah, thanks. Good luck to everybody this spring. I hope everybody whacks them. Good. Congrats, Rob. I appreciate yeah, it, man. congrats, buddy. <laughs> All right, see you boys soon. Okay. See you guys. All right, see you. Bye. That was a good episode. I think so. Those guys are very humble, and uh, sometimes I think they answer questions and they miss the obvious, like, you know, People are asking honest, naive questions. Yeah, it's like they're so far advanced in their <laughs> yeah in their hunting prowess and their just how they're thinking through a scenario that they don't they they react in ways that are effective, but they don't think about like exactly why they did what they did. Just things like always getting as close as you can get to a bird. Yeah. You know, I mean they 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 obviously do that. They know to do that, but they don't process the answer that way because it's so second nature. It's like here yeah. one gobble on his own. Okay, we're gonna cut the distance. Well it's yeah. the whole they always say it about quarterbacks, but it's the whole the game slows down and mm-hmm. it's less it's less thinking and more reacting based yeah. on what's in front of you. And yeah. I like what um what Josh said about learning and being a sponge and about well even if you killed a turkey, there's still a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. Like JG and on our hunt, we Realized that yes, we did. I feel like we made the right call to move, which was good, but maybe we shouldn't have yelped right before we move because mm-hmm. we yelped at where we thought these other turkeys were to see if we could give that one a chance. But we already had one in the game, mm-hmm. and then when we moved, it's kind of one of those deals where, we're like, yes, we walked out with a turkey, but next time I might not do it the exact mm-hmm. same way. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, every opportunity is a learning opportunity, and I think that's the coolest thing about turkeys over things like deer or ducks. You know, a deer can smell you and not come down the trail that you're hunting, yeah. and you never learn from it. You yeah. just think there's yeah, no that's deer moving that day, you know. Hmm. And ducks can do something different, and you not see them, and you don't really get the opportunity to learn from I mean, you might learn a little bit based on reports that other people give you. But with a but with an interchange with a turkey, you hear him gobble audibly when you can't see him, and then you hear him change position, and and so you hear him yeah. walk away, or you hear him walk towards you, or you yeah. hear him stop at and a certain all the point. different sounds they make give you right. direct feedback. On right, behavior. and so there's if you if you're if you're insightful and, and intentional, there is something to be learned every single time about their behavior, and it's it's fascinating. I think that's so cool about yeah, you know, just just one of the neat things about turkey hunting. Um, and Josh said it too. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but about how every turkey hunts a new mm-hmm. experience, mm-hmm. and I know I'm very early mm-hmm. into it. But that's one of the things that is making me so much more fond mm-hmm. of turkey hunting, in yep. particular, yep. is because every single turkey hunt is yep. different. Yep, based on where they it gobble. Is. I mean, you could be on the same piece of land and have 20 different turkey hunts over yep. the years. Yep, it is. And um, Dad and I have always marveled at the fact that. The longer you do it, you know, yes, you get better at it. You're not ever, you know, um, you know, invincible. You never <laughs> arrive. Still, yeah, you yeah. never arrive, right, and they win a lot. But there's an element to which 
you start learning things the hard way. You learn something, you don't kill a turkey, and then and then it might be five years from now, but when that scenario plays itself out back out and yeah. you kill one, we talk about all the time, like when I called Dad and said, I got one this morning, we typically talk about not just what happened that morning. But a previous but I But I go, you remember that time with that bird did X, Y, Z, blah, 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 you know, and he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that one got this one killed. <laughs> you know, it's That's funny. Um, there's always sort of a direct connection between – what you learn from one that caused the demise yep. of another one. Yeah, I think that's so neat about it. But and there was something Boozer said to Ann Mac, and is it it again, it's one of those situations where I got to sit back and be a sponge and just listen. But you know, my she, my friend Boozer is that you're talking? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, he was he was talking to her. She was a little upset, and he said, "Ann Mac, sometimes the turkey's got to win." Yeah. And, you know, that was just kind of the way I've just thought about that yeah. a lot. And Yeah, and it's, it's, it, that's, that's definitely one of those things that's kind of going around these days on social, and it's important. It's important that he wins sometimes. Yeah. It's important because, one, it teaches us things, but it's important, too, because if he doesn't always win, that means you're doing something unethical, immoral. Like, there, yeah. we have tactics that – we've clearly said are not okay baiting or shooting them with a rifle or shooting yeah. them off the limb or shooting them out of a truck. I mean, yeah. there's just things that are sort of like, you know, shots below the belt that we don't do. Yeah. And so, where we've made it hard on purpose, but that's okay. Right. But yeah. I guess what I'm getting at is the, the, pr the primary thing I'm trying to say is it's important that we all accept and make it okay for him to win. Mm -hmm. Because if we make, if we, if we normalize that and we make that okay and we esteem that and even say, look, it's good that he wins, you yeah. know, that then then we all become better students of the game because yeah. when he wins, we learn, you know, yeah. ultimately. Totally. Um, the last thing I want to say, and just on Josh and Hunter's behalf, um, you know, the thing that people don't regularly think about or realize is how many hours – days, months, I mean, how much time those two have spent honing their craft, mm -hmm. particularly calling, um, not just popping in a mouth call and just going, cow, 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 cow. but there is, the, the I think the, the hardest calls to make are those really low-end, quiet, subtle tones, um, tree yelping, or just not even just tree yelping, but what sounds like a tree yelp, but the but but being able to make a four or five note yelp while a turkey's at forty five yards and you want to shoot him at thirty five, yep. or or maybe you know maybe he's killable at forty, but you need him to take three more steps to get out from behind a big tree or something like that. And I have seen Hunter and Josh both just on numerous occasions. It's one thing to be able to yelp; it's a whole another thing when he's breathing fire inside fifty. For you to be able to just real softly give him three more yelps or just a little purr and three more yelps or just that, mm -hmm. you know, that stuff that Josh was talking about and he's at 65 and he's looking at those decoys and just that, oh, oh, you know, just a little bit. You, you do that too loud, he's, you know, he's out. You know, he yeah. knows that, that a hen doesn't yelp that loud just, just for no reason, you know, yeah. that close. Yeah. And so, Being students um, and yeah, I, I say that to just say that. Of all the things we stress over, we pattern our guns, we dial in our choke tubes, we sight in our optics, we grow food plots, we we you know we look for leases, we we scout, we do we do all these things as turkey hunters. The thing that people don't regularly talk about is how much skill it takes and how much practice gets invested 
into really high-quality yelping. Yep. And those boys, you know, kill a lot of turkeys because they sound like, like a turkeys. turkey. <laughs> yeah. And they can no control doubt. the volume. And so I would say in addition to all these other things we've talked about, for a, for a young guy or a new guy that's learning, man, don't stop trying to manipulate your sounds, manipulate how you, how the air comes across your Yelper, yeah. record yourself. And, and the same is true for duck hunting. Record yourself. Practice. I mean, you know, Steph Curry doesn't shoot, you know, Hall of Fame percentages from the three-point line um, just because that's a natural gift. He had a natural yeah. gift that he hones, hones every day with thousands of jump shots. And so, that's right. I mean, if we want to be world-class turkey hunters, by gosh, we should be practicing our Yelping more often. Amen. That's all I got. <laughs> Preach. Well, I like you. Any- Let's go hunting. Gosh, I'm <laughs> no. tired of talking about it. No. I've been shipping got, calls got, and visiting got, dealers and uh, talking to people about hunting. And I've, got been. Four, I've got four more days on my Mississippi. On my, I just bought the seven-day. Oh, yeah. So I've got four more days, and I'm just like, I just like. Jones. I was, I was talking to Liz last night. I said, I'm not going to hunt in the morning. So there goes a the day. I got four left. I got to do, <laughs> do something about that. So, well, well, anyway, well, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Yeah, good to talk to you. Thanks for listening and say a prayer for us. We got the kids coming in town this weekend. It's going to be it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a good time. A little chilly, but it'll be fun. Yep, yep, yep. We'll see you on the next one. Catch you later.